We are encountering silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Christine Falters Paintman is the online abbess for Abbey of the Arts, a virtual monastery offering programs and resources on contemplative practice and creative expression. She is the author of 13 books on monasticism and creativity, including her most recent, Earth, Our Original Monastery, and her forthcoming second collection of poems due out this fall, The Wisdom of Wild Grace. Christine leads writing retreats and pilgrimages in Ireland, Scotland, Austria, and Germany, and online retreats at her website, abbeyofthearts.com, living out her commitment as a Benedictine oblate in Galway, Ireland, with her husband, John. Christine first joined us on Encountering Silence in the fall of 2018. She brings a gentle and affirming spirit to her work and truly invites us all into that sacred place where prayer, creativity, and contemplation meet. Christine, welcome back to Encountering Silence. Thank you, Carl. It's really a pleasure. So we are recording this in late March 2020. So it is the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I'd like to begin just by seeing how how it is with you and John during this moment we find ourselves in. Mm. How, how is life for you these days? <laughs> well, on some level, life isn't too much different than usual in that we both kind of live a, a somewhat hermit-like existence. Uh, we like to spend a lot of time at home in um, you know, writing and in reflection and then all of that. Of course, there's, you know, a heightened awareness of anxiety and grief in the world. And we actually just led a nine-day novena for our community at Abbey of the Arts, uh, where we did daily live sessions on different spiritual practices from, you know, the Christian mystical tradition that would help support people in these days. And so that felt incredibly nourishing to gather with community to help support them but also us as well I felt very very enlivened by that experience and I think like a a rekindling for me of what my teaching is about and how relevant it actually can be in the world can you maybe unpack that a little the obviously your teaching is about monasticism spirituality and creativity but how, how are you seeing that increased relevance right now well, I think it's in light of we're living in a moment when everything's uncertain and there is a complete lack of knowing about how things will unfold. Of course, that's the truth at every moment of our lives. And yet there's a it, because it's a collective experience, I think it's sort of heightened and amplified. And so what and obviously science and medicine and all of those things are extraordinarily important the most vital of resources during these days however we also have you know people who are dealing with all of the 
the anxiety and the fearfulness around that. And, you know, I draw a lot, I've been drawing a lot these days on the desert monastic experience in particular, because, you know, they went out into the, into the wilderness of the desert precisely to seek this kind of experience of uncertainty, of disorientation, of discomfort, and knowing that they would find an encounter with the divine in that place where, you know, they were stripped away of all the things that they were kind of holding too tightly onto. And in that space could find a bit of freedom and deeper connection with the divine. And so, you know, our pra the practices that we focused on for the week were things like silence, you know, we're in this basically enforced time of retreat when we could fill our days with all kinds of online distractions. And some of those are perfectly fine. I do the same thing myself, but we could also intentionally give us give ourselves some time to enter into the silence to listen for something new that might be breaking through, you know, that this, uh, this time has its invitations to us to greater love and kindness, compassion, listening, discernment, you know, how, what are the things that are being stripped away from us that we could actually let go of? So simplicity, humility, you know, being aware of our own mortality, um, as you know, is a really profound practice of the monastic tradition and, and, brings us into more intimate connection with that which we cherish and that which we hold dear and that which we want to help flourish. And so all of those things, and I don't mean it in the sense that I think this was brought about for the purpose of giving us some new message. I think that kind of theology is really awful, to be honest. And there is always the, the possibility of grace. And so these practices help us attune ourselves to perhaps a different wisdom that could be operating that we might actually have the time to hear in this time of <laughs> you know extended retreat and 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 silence if we're not you know dealing with lots of children at home which of course is its own uh, monastic practice in terms of dealing with community and <laughs> those kinds of things so Christine I was really struck by yeah just the the timeliness of reading this for me was really really powerful and in, in your book, your most recent book, Earth, Our Original Monastery, you write, consider Earth as our original monastery. Earth is the place where we learn our most fundamental prayers. Hear the call of the wild arising at dawn that awakens us to a new day. Participate in the primal liturgy of praise unfolding all around us and experience the wisdom and guidance of the seasons. And I was especially struck by just that idea of primal liturgy um, that just really, really stuck with me. And also in the book, along with that, you kind of, you, you do poetically unpack that in, in multiple places. One in particular I'm thinking of is where you write, everything in creation becomes a catalyst for my deepened self-understanding. The forest asks me to embrace my truth once again. The hummingbird invites me to sip holy nectar, the eager to stretch out my wings, the sparrows to remember my flock. Each pine cone contains an epiphany. Each smooth stone offers a revelation. I watch and witness as the sun slowly makes her long arc across the sky and discover my own rising and falling. The moon will sing of quiet miracles like those that reveal and conceal the world every day right before our eyes. Oh, so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I just wanna say that I'm so struck by this, again, this, this idea in this truth of primal, primal liturgy that we live among 
primal liturgy. It's always there. It's always in motion. It's always happening. It's always existing. Mm. And your work is so beautifully about just this constant uncovering of truth as opposed to adding layers and layers of things. Mm. Continue to um, just uncover and point to these primal ways of being and these original ways of being. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. That being said, I guess I just, I, maybe I want to ask, how are you sensing and getting in touch personally with this primal liturgy uh, during this time? Yeah, well, you know, I, I feel very, um, gr- very grateful that we're still in a position where we're able to go for our daily walks. So, you know, we can stay within two kilometers of our home. And thankfully, the usual walk we take with our dog is up the canal behind our house and down the river. And, and I suppose, you know, I'm always, I'm always grateful for that walk, because there's so many things that happen on it. Uh, Apart from, you know, our dog, just herself, like reveling in being outside, like going for a walk is one of our favorite things in the world. So it's sort of like the preparation for going out to the liturgy. (laughs) She's already so, (laughs) so excited about it. And then we go out and, you know, you can, you know, there's not so many cars out right now. So you can hear the birds singing. Of course, we're entering springtime. So you can see all the shoots and the magnolia trees starting to bloom and all of the, you know, cherry blossoms. And, and so there's like a, if you listen closely, there's like a, a thrumming or a sense like the, the sap is rising in the world. And it's always something I'm grateful for to have that opportunity to go out and do that, to have the physical ability to go walk. But of course, now in these days, it's like the one time that I leave the house <laughs> during the day. And, you know, we don't see very many other people on the way. And so there's just a real sense of, even though it's very much still an urban environment, that there's a sense in which nature is maybe singing more loudly or maybe it's just that we're able to pay more close attention. Although I have read reports of places where, you know, some of the wildlife is actually starting to flourish even more because of the human retreat and withdrawal from the world. So just to say, you know, entering into that sense of being one with, with the, the singing out of creation that the Psalms talk about, you know, that all of, all of creation is already in this unending song of joy. And so to go out and to be present to that and participate in that helps very much to lift any fear and anxiety that I might have, because I can, (laughs) I can participate in what is already happening all around me. (laughs) You make a point that, you know, earlier when we were talking a little bit before we began recording, you mentioned, you know, looking out the window and just how moments like that can be also a participation in in this great liturgy that's constantly happening. Yeah, absolutely. I can actually see Galway Bay from my window. And I had mentioned that they have actually closed the beaches and the walkways, which gives me a bit of grief, even though I don't actually go down there all that often physically, mostly because in the winter, it's quite windy. But I'm now aware that, you know, this there's a sense that this view out my window is, is very much an icon, which of course I write about in the book, but I don't know that I had actually <laughs> directly thought about my view out the window in that way. So there's this mm. sense of just being present to the sea beyond continuing her, you know, great majestic dance of the, the rhythms of the tides coming in and out. And, you know, big theme that I like to explore is 
is, you know, the tidal rhythms, the daily rhythms, the seasonal rhythms, and that sense that when we're attuned to those, we can be supported in both the kind of expansion, fruitfulness and flowering of our lives, but also the release, the letting go, the receding, the yielding, the, you know, the times of entering into kind of darkness and mystery. And I think that those, those kinds of moments are really, have been really helpful for me to see that it's all part of a cycle and that that full expression is what I'm, what I'm called to. Our conversation will continue after this brief moment of silence. Please take a break with us and be present in this short period of silence. Christine, I, I absolutely love this book because, and it's probably, this is the area I spend most of my time in, and I feel most connected with this idea of wild and wilderness. And I, I think my question comes from this space, because this is the area I do work in, and I talk with people about this. Do you have a sense of a practice kind of a very basic practice, you know, because I'm going through the book and there's just so much good stuff in here. Um, mm -hmm. So many nice insights, poetic gestures, um, moments of reflection, um, different contemplative exercises. But I think I'm, what I'm looking for is, would you say, how would you take a beginner? You know, because I think our culture, we are so not wild people. We are, mm. we are industrial people. We are people of machines and technology. We are, you know, and it's, I don't say that with a judgment. I say that as it's just the way the world has gone and evolved. So, yeah. so how do we have this moment? What is the way to kind of direct or allow ourselves to be called back to wild, to that primal liturgy? Because I find that I'll bring people out on a walk, for instance, and and we'll say, okay, you know, pay attention. And, you know, I'll, I'll say things like you're saying in the book, like, you know, notice this and pay attention and listen and and focus and let go and, and just be aware and release and all that kind of thing. And mm -hmm. I'll get, oh, uh, I've, I've gotten, and I, I can say, tell you, I have gotten this kind of pushback where people are scratch their heads and they say, well, that was lovely. That was mm -hmm. relaxing. You know, thank you for that. That was nice, but I don't, I don't see how this is prayer, and I don't know the next steps, and I don't know what you're asking me to do, and uh, so the, I just feel like um, I bump into kind of the stuff that David Abram points out in his books, where we're a mm -hmm. culture of words and technology, and we've forgotten the kind of the animism of the world and what it means to be wild and to have a body. Do you have mm -hmm. do you have ways that break into that for people like that come to your abbey and that are are maybe confused or <laughs> Yeah, I suppose one of the most 
the more foundational practices actually comes from uh, when I first wrote about it in the Eyes of the Heart, uh, photography is a contemplative practice. Mm. And in that book, so I, I described Visio Divina, you know, as a kind of adaptation of Lexio Divina, sacred mm. reading. And one thing I talk about in that is how photography can be very much about, uh, well, the language is very much about taking photos, shooting, capturing. It's a really, really kind of aggressive imagery. And what I invite people to do is to shift that perspective. And so to look at receiving the gift of images, to look for a moment that's shimmering. Mm. And shimmering means anything that kind of calls your attention, that catches your awareness, that invites you into a participation, into a relationship. And I find that that uh, photography seems to work well for a lot of people because it is such an accessible creative medium, but you can also do this exercise without a camera in hand at all. Uh, especially if you find it distracting at all. But this sense of of simply showing up to a place, it does take it does require slowing down a bit. And I know for some people that that's that's in itself is you know a, a hindrance. <laughs> How do we slow the mind down? So I often invite people to make a fist ah, uh, with their hands. Nice. Uh, and to really tighten, tighten the fists and then tighten up the whole body. And you do this sometimes like in a yoga class or a meditation class, mm-hmm. you tighten everything and then you, you know, let out a deep breath and you release it all. And to consider, and often, you know, participants will then be playing with, you know, tightening their fists and opening it. And I encourage people, something about the physicality of that, I think can be helpful. Yeah. And then to consider all the ways that we move through life with with our fists tight and grasp all the ways we want to like extract information from things or mm. get things done or get to the point or wh- whatever that is um but if we uh, <laughs> how the breath can be such a a vehicle for grace and openness and if we can imagine that we're moving into an encounter with the natural world with these with our hands open which means that we're not trying to get somewhere we're not trying to achieve something we're simply listening for whatever that gift might come and so then I talk about this image of the shimmering and you know something that calls your attention and again when that if there's something in the natural world it could be you know a bird that lands on a branch or it could be a mushroom growing or a flower whatever it is that catches our attention to be with it and to listen to it as if it had, you know, it could communicate with us, which of course it can, mm-hmm. but sometimes it takes us a little while to get into that mindset yeah. where it's not just about us receiving from whatever this thing is. So it's not, a, it's not an exchange in terms of a transaction. It's more about how do I enter into this space of encounter? Mm. Um, and I think part of it is, is that kind of physical softening. And it does require a transition of our way of being in the world. That's for sure. And that requires practice. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful response. Thank you for that. That's a really lovely insight too. the fact that it's embodied, that letting go, that turning and that receiving. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I find very much the physical, the physical holding that we all have in our bodies is very much connected to our, 
our ways of being in the world and, and the cultural sort of mindset mm. of rushing and productivity and all of that. All right. I, I couldn't agree more. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. Christine, for those who may feel like this engagement with nature and this, this way of being, you know, you, you speak about it so poetically. And I wonder um, for people who may feel like they're not creative or feel like they can't engage in that way, I wonder what you would, would say to them. And along with that, I'm reminded of uh, Sister uh, Karita Kent, the printmaker and mm-hmm. activist who talked a lot about creativity and just that creativity, she, she wrote, creativity belongs to the artist in each of us. To create means to relate. The root mm-hmm. meaning of the word art is to fit together. And we mm-hmm. do this every day. Not all of us are painters, but we are all artists. Each time we fit things together, we are creating, whether it is to make a loaf of bread, a child, a day. Mm. And I'm reminded, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people that are quite literally beginning to use creativity in this time in new ways, like making a loaf of bread. So I wonder what you might say to people that are trying to get in touch with this deep listening and this deep connectivity uh, with nature in particular, but feel like they can't or they fail to because their language might be different, the language they use to embrace it. Yeah, well, I I certainly believe that all of us, you know, is an artist at heart as well and has that creative capacity. And I, I'm actually thinking about the chapter I wrote about Earth as the original saints and how Thomas mm-hmm. Merton talks about, you know, that the the dogwood tree is a saint and the bass and the trout and the mountains and the hills, they're all saints. And then I refer to David White, where he talks about, you know, we're the one kind of tragic part of the earth that, you know, is privileged to refuse our own flowering. And I love that sense of, I think it it comes very much into this idea of how we get in our own ways. Some of that is cultural and some of that is, you know, family kinds of patterns and personal patterns. And I suppose, I suppose the first thing to do would be to be willing to sit (laughs) for 10 minutes, you know, in, it it could even be with your, with your companion animal at home. Cause I know that I experience this on a daily basis with my dog Cerny, you know, that her, to be attuned to her own natural rhythms of the day so that she, you know, she sleeps when she needs to, she stretches and wants to play when she needs to, you know, that there's this beautiful like organic quality to her that I would say is, you know, part of the creative process of nature. And so, you know, there's nothing in nature that is forcing itself into being, right? It all it all unfolds in its appointed time and it's kind of coming into ripeness. And I think the same is true for us. And I think for me to like paying attention to this, the seasons as they unfold, help me to get in touch with that there are times for me to be in that place of great flowering and fruitfulness, but there's also times to be in that place of releasing and letting go. And sometimes people think that they're creatively blocked, but I actually think that they're more in a winter season of the creative process, but the issue comes when we resist the resistance, right? When we don't really allow space just to be in that place of kind of emptiness, we don't, we do get stuck in that place. 
So it, I'm not sure how, <laughs> how directive an answer that is, but this sense of, I think for me, like being willing to sit and pay attention, you know, whether it's in our garden and listening to bird song or watching the trees unfold and to consider in, the, in our own lives, what are the ways that we get in our own ways? What are the ways that we, you know, impede our own natural flowering? What are the voices, the messages that we get? And I don't know, for me, nature has a way of reflecting back to me that gift of just unconscious creativity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Christine, I want to reflect with you on the title of your forthcoming book of poetry. Mm. You connect wisdom, wildness, and grace mm -hmm. in, in the title. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, haven't, I haven't seen the poetry yet, so, so I can't comment on that. But I love simply this wild grace, this bringing together of, of wildness and grace. And I'm wondering if you could maybe tell us a story behind that. Like, how did you first meet grace and wildness or wildness and grace? Let's see, where did I first meet it was probably as a, as a child growing up in New York City of all places, but my father was Austrian and we would go in the summers to Austria and hike in the mountains and the woods. And, and those were always places of great solace for me. I'd, I had somewhat of a challenging childhood and, you know, it's kind of a difficult kind of family life situation. And I think those, those are the places when I could be out in nature that I felt uh, more at ease in the world and more a sense of kind of comfort and solace. Uh, and then you know, fast forward many years later, when I was 33, my mother died, and she died in the month of October, which was its own kind of grace, because I would go on these walks every day, uh, just to the city park, uh, where we lived in Seattle, and, and there was something about moving through that great liturgy of the trees, from October to November to December, you know, the descent First, the brilliant spectacle of autumn and the beauty that death can bring into the descent and the stripping away and the bareness of the trees. And there was something about, about the earth meeting me in my, in my grieving in that place. I actually fell in love with winter at that time because of the way it, it offered me that kind of solace. Uh, and so there was a sense of you know, this, this profound grace that comes through through wildness. And then I think later on, and certainly for the book of poems that I have coming out, I, I've loved these stories of um, connection and intimacy between saints and animals. There's a number of them from the desert tradition and the Irish uh, and the Celtic tradition. Uh, there's actually a wonderful book called Beasts and Saints by Helen Waddell from you know, many years ago that collects some of those. But then you also have some of the saints like Francis and Claire and Julian, who also, we have stories, you know, sacred texts that open a window into uh, what does it mean to, to hear the divine speaking through the wild, through the voice of creatures. And 
these stories were considered to be a sign of holiness of these monks and mystics, which I think is just fantastic. Uh, and I ended up writing a series of 30 poems that each one entered into each of these stories. And even that process itself asked me to kind of step out of my usual sort of thought process and think about what is it like to have this encounter with this wild boar, or this bear, or this otter, or, you know, what, what do these creatures have to teach me and what, what might the monks have experienced in that you know thomas martin talks about you know monks are the basically the witness to the new creation that they live in this deep intimacy with the with the natural world by living in the wilderness and having these connections to animals and so those stories too i think helped connect me to this fact that there's this ancient mystical tradition already in place that says wild grace is alive and available to us and we can enter into it anytime we we seek it. <laughs> this is the end of the first part of a two-part interview. The conclusion to this interview will be released in our next episode. We are encountering silence. I'm Carl McCollman. To learn more about me, please visit carlmccolman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. Find out about my work at cassidyhall.com. I'm Kevin Johnson. My current website is kevinmichaeljohnson.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com, where you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on the podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit patreon.com forward slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters and share in our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.